Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Nick Velasquez about learning science, memory, peak performance, and mastery. Nick Valeskis, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to be with you today. I'm super excited to have a conversation. You're joining us from Montreal. Is that correct? Yep, correct. Yeah, so you're in Montreal. I'm here in Utah. Um, it's always fun to, to talk with people from all over the world, and I'm looking forward to hearing um, your uh, unique perspective as we explore together today learning science, memory, peak performance, and mastery, uh, you know, in our personal lives, but also specifically within a corporate setting. Uh, how can we leverage these elements in our own leadership, in our own teams, to drive higher levels of performance, and to help uh, everyone maximize their full potential? As we get started, I wanted to share Nick's bio with everybody. Nick is a passionate learner and devoted student of mastery. He's the author of the popular blog, unlimitedmastery.com, where he writes about learning science, peak performance, creativity, and mastery skills. His writing has been featured in outlets such as Time, Entrepreneur, Thrive Global, and Thought Catalog. Nick speaks multiple languages and spends his time between Tokyo and Montreal. Um, two places I love. Uh, what an amazing background. I'm super excited for this conversation. Anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your background, personal context before we dive on in? I'm originally from South America. I'm originally from Colombia, then moved to Canada. And the whole thing about going into learning science is because I wanted to learn too many things and was frustrated by how long it took, especially how long it took going from knowledge into skill. One thing is knowing about something and a different thing is knowing how to do it. And I, my choices were either learn less or become a better learner. So I chose the latter and that led me to this years and years of research into how to learn better, how to become a better learner. Yeah, excellent, excellent. And so South America, Montreal, where does Tokyo fit in? And how, are, how and why are you splitting time between Montreal and Tokyo? Tokyo, I just fell in love with Japan uh, so badly. I love that place and I love the people. Life feels good there. Um, everyone's so polite and so friendly. It just makes it easy to go around. So I try to spend a couple of months out of the year in, in Tokyo. I just go there because I like it. Oh, that's wonderful. That good. I've lived um, a few years in uh, various Asian countries, uh, mostly in, in South Korea, but sometime in Japan and China, uh, Indonesia, and uh, it's just a wonderful part of the world. And I, I have to share, I mean, this is completely off topic, but um, we in my house, we love anime. And, right. <laughs> and, and we watch a lot. My, my uh, 17 year old daughter is really into it. And so she's always showing us new shows or new movies um, and just so impressive. So anyways, I love, I love the, 
the Japanese culture and and all of that. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome. Uh, I also like anime. I'm not a, a deep fan, but there are some animes that are just too good to ignore. Yep, absolutely. Well, sorry for that digression. But now <laughs> as we dive back into learning science, um, tell us a little bit more about that. Uh, I, I think listeners probably get the general sense of what you mean by that. But I think also there's some very specific you know, definitions of what that means. Learning science, um, we, when we think about science, you know, a lot of people think about you know, the hard sciences, biology, chemistry, geology, that sort of stuff. What is learning science? Sure. So the whole point is that learning science is about how we learn. And then based on how we learn, how our brain learns new information, then we can derive some strategies of how to learn better. And that's the whole purpose. And I like to focus on the strategies and the things that we can use to become better learners instead of the science of how we learn or the mental processes, which I think uh, the analogy I try to use is imagine a race car driver. So this person doesn't need to know the mechanics of the car, the basics, sure. But the idea is they need to focus on mastering how to drive those cars instead of the engineering behind it. So that's kind of the same approach I want to take, which is instead of learning like how at the neurological side of it or the cognitive side of it, we learn, then how to use that knowledge to become better learners. And that's the whole purpose of it. And if you think about it, so we're designing a way that some things are, are better learned if we use different strategies. And memory is a, a great example because we all try to do root learning, which is repeating things over and over. Where mnemonics, which is where you associate what you're trying to memorize with things that are kind of outstanding or things that you already know. Let's say if you meet someone at a party, person says the name, let's say John, and you associate that new John with a John that you know from high school or something. You create that association and it sticks in your mind much better. So the idea, and we can think about it this way, um, root learning or repetition, it's like taking a wheel, putting it on its side and then pushing it. You're going to make it go where you want it to take it, but it's not the proper way to use it. So the whole purpose of the discussion is like learning a few strategies and things of how to use our mind effectively so we can become better learners. So we learn faster, we learn better. Yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that uh, that kind of description. And I think about myself and the, the evolution of my own learning approach. I've always been a good student. I've always worked hard. Um, and But I, I found, you know, going through high school and then, uh, my first year of college, I approached learning in a completely different way. And then I went and spent a couple years in South Korea and, and I learned the Korean language and learning a new language like Korean, um, like blew me away, like the difficulty of it. Um, such a diff such a difficult language and the nuances and the pronunciation, the sentence structure, just like everything. And it was, it, you know, I was totally in an immersive environment and it was just so hard and it rocked my world. But what it did is it completely, I don't know if rewired the brain is, is the right way to term it, but it certainly shifted my approach to learning. Um, it, it, it changed. And so when I came back from that experience and I continued at university, uh, I was a completely different type of student. I studied differently. Um, I learned completely differently. I was much more efficient and effective in how I um, studied uh, in those sorts of things. And I, I attribute a lot of that, which has set me up for a lot of successes. And, you know, as I've continued on through my career, uh, I attribute that to just kind of relearning how to learn um, mm -hmm. when I was 
pushed up against the wall trying to learn something really difficult like like Korean language. Yes. Uh, one of the things, and this would be a main topic for learning something. And when you're faced with learning a new language and you realize how difficult it is and how much effort you need to put, it kind of changes your perspective or your expectations of what it is to learn a new thing. So what happens is that as adults, we already became really good at certain things and we forget what it is to start something from scratch. So then we have this misconceptions of the learning process. We think we should be advancing so much faster or that it's going to be much easier. And then when we face that reality of like, it's not that easy, most people default into the, oh, well, I just don't have it. I'm just not good at languages. I'm not talented enough. I'm not whatever enough. And then they quit. And the thing is, well, one is you forgot how difficult it is to learn something new. Two, you have misguided expectations of what it is to learn something new. It takes time and dedication. So for you, for example, learning Korean is, wow, you really need to dedicate yourself. This is not a summer project. Uh, sometimes I meet people that say, well, what are you doing this summer? Like, oh, I'll try to pick up some Italians. Like, you won't. <laughs> you won't because you're, you're kind of selling Italian short. It's going to take time and energy that you're going to have to put into it. So people sometimes misconstrue how difficult it is to learn new things. And they just kind of put the minimum of effort. And when they see that it's not yielding any results and they quit thinking is basically on them is because they don't have the talent. So that's the first mind shift that we need to change. Like with effort and dedication, you're going to get better. No skill languages or otherwise can resist the attack of a delivered practice. If you're relentless yeah, yeah. in your practice, you will get it. It's yeah. And I, I think about myself, for example, in the group, you know, uh, what, when I was learning Korean, the way this worked is there, I was with a cohort of, of, of students together. We studied in an intense environment for mm -hmm. about three months. And then we went over to Korea and, and we were in an immersive environment. And I will tell you, I was, I was towards the bottom of the pack in terms of like how quickly I was picking things up. Mm -hmm. um, which was new to me because I, I had been used to being a really great student and always kind of being at the top of the class. And now all of a sudden I'm struggling. And, uh, but what I found is we go through that experience. We get over into Korea where we're going through our day-to-day, -day, we're immersed and just continuing to study and to work hard. And I found that many of the people in my cohort who maybe it came a little bit easier to them a little bit more naturally. They, they made a little bit more progress a little bit faster initially. Um, they, they didn't have the persistent effort towards continuing to learn and develop. And so over time is kind of the classic tortoise and the hare kind of an argument. I was a little bit yes. slower, um, but over time I surpassed uh, pretty much everyone else in that cohort of individuals. We'd spent the same amount of time in country yet I, I had a bit of a stronger work ethic and more mm -hmm. persistence. And, and so I, I caught up and then I surpassed. And then, you know, all of a sudden I find myself in a situation uh, where I'm, I'm, I'm doing very quite well, um, but it yes. took a lot of patience. It looked, took a lot of, of persistent effort. And I think to your point, you know, when we're, when we're trying to learn new skills in the workplace, for example, um, how often do we assign, if I'm a leader, I'm a manager and I have like, you know, XYZ tasks that need to be performed. How often am I inclined to just give it to whoever I think is going to be the best, the fastest right out of the gate versus who has the potential to be really great at that thing, but maybe they need a little bit of time. They need a little bit of investment. 
they're going to, if you can help them develop that skill, they can really do great things for you uh, down the line. I, I think we need to have a balance of both, right? Um, so that we can utilize the expertise we already have, but develop the expertise that we need moving into the future that we'll never get there if we don't invest in them. Yes. And a couple of things there. And I love that we're using a very particular example. So it's more relatable that way. Um, but one of the things is that learning and mastering a skill is a long-term process. So a fast or slow start doesn't determine how far you're going to go. Some people go faster at the beginning of the process and then slow down. Others go the other way around. They start slow, but then they, they speed up later. Another point there is that we don't know where our strengths lie. So we're learning a new skill and sometimes maybe the beginning points, they're very difficult, but then in other parts we shine. So when you say it about the project, it's like, well, maybe we can give it to someone that can do it faster. Or we could do it to someone that is more creative and is going to find other points that are going to make it better. So not necessarily the more efficient is the one that's going to do the better job. So there are a lot of things there to consider. And the other point is like realizing that yes, through hard work, we can become better at regardless of the skill. And it's sad that sometimes when someone shows a little bit of promise at the beginning, then it becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy because, well, you showed early promise or so everyone thinks now you're, you're a genius or you have this natural talent. So you get the best coaches, you have all the attention, you have all the support. And of course, that's going to make you even better. Um, so it's difficult as teachers or as coaches to encourage everyone because we don't know who are the ones that are going to go far. I have a friend that is like a five degree black belt in, in Taekwondo. And I was asking him, what are the difference of the people that stay and, and the ones that go? He's like, some people come here and it, it's really difficult for them, but they stay and you see them work hard every day. Those are the ones that go far because the other ones that think are wonder kids, once they find the challenges, once something doesn't come easily to them and they have to work hard, they didn't develop that discipline. So they quit. So many times we're blessed if something's a little bit harder for us at the beginning, because we're going to develop the discipline and the perseverance, which is going to carry us through because for everyone, challenges are going to come sooner or later. We see it in professional sports, like people that are as so-called geniuses or these prodigies and never lost. And when they finally lost, they were never able to get back up because they never developed the other skills, the mental ones. So for, for work, that's really important too. It's like, Sometimes we get discouraged. I'm not picking this up fast enough. But if you keep at it and you work at it, maybe it's not so much about the project you're working on in the meantime, in the meantime but about the mental skills of becoming more resilient and more perseverant. And that's going to take you much farther than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And so we've, we've been talking quite a bit about the mastery piece and that we need to have patience. We need to have persistence. We need to have, need to have the and develop the mental toughness. Um, let's talk a little bit more about memory. You mentioned it earlier, um, but let's talk a little bit more about the role of memory um, to lead towards uh, peak performance. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, Bluer Than Indigo Leadership, The Journey of Becoming a Truly Remarkable Leader. Early in my adult life, I learned about an Asian proverb that translates as bluer than indigo. If you think about the color indigo, it is a brilliant, deep, and vibrant blue. What some would call the bluest of blues. To have something that is bluer than indigo is rare and truly remarkable. 
Contrary to popular myth, there is no one-size-fits-all or cookie-cutter approach to effective leadership. There's no silver bullet, no secret sauce, no go-to model that will solve all of our problems. The truth is, great leaders have all had their unique strengths and flaws, and have all had to discover and then pave their own distinctive path in their life's journey to fulfill their leadership potential. Bluer Than Indigo Leadership will help you discover your own path and explore those ordinary, everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations. Well, we can talk about memory, and this really ties in into um, learning new skills for a job at a company, and is... There is a very different thing between understanding concepts and memorizing them. And this is the reason you can go to a seminar, you can attend a meeting and you understand everything that's said. And maybe a couple of days later, you don't remember anything. And that's okay because there are two different processes in the mind. Understanding is about making sense of concepts and ideas. Memorizing is about internalizing those concepts and they both need different strategies. So for you to understand is just kind of following along an argument. So people like going to seminars because it's all this information, it's packed in three days and you think you learned so much. You didn't learn, you understood things. For you to learn them, to internalize them, now you have to work on that information. You have to review it. You have to take notes. You have to put it into your own words. All these other things to commit that information to memory. You you have to so apply it. Understanding right? is not enough. Yes, you also yeah have you have to, to you have it. to apply it to move it into the deeper parts of the brain. Yes. Um, otherwise, I mean, there's lots of studies on this. You probably know the stats better than I do, but it's it's something really low, like five to ten percent retention past even a couple of weeks when we yep. just like sit in a lecture, right? Yes. If we're just sitting there passively learning, like a seminar, like you described, we're going to remember almost nothing. Um, yes. you know, just a couple of weeks later, but when you have like actual practical application, you actually do the thing you, you, you practice, uh, you share it, you, you teach it to somebody else. When you do those sorts of things, it, it drives it deeper into a different yes. part of your brain and, and the recall can be there and you can actually utilize it. It can be part of, it's like filling the well of mm -hmm. your knowledge and your skills, and then you can utilize it later and pull it, pull out the water from the well and, and utilize it for whatever task you're doing at work the problem is that consuming information feels good but it because it gives this false sense of progress and it's so much easier to gather a theory to read a book to go to a seminar to watch a documentary things like that and we feel like we're moving forward so much faster but putting things into action is slow that's why we avoid it because it's tough you need to put in the practice but that's what eventually gets you to learn something so an example that i like to give is Let's say you read a book on first aid and like you understand all the information, you put the book back on the shelf and then you're on the street and someone needs first aid. And like, it doesn't matter if you remember where the book is and which chapter you need to review. If the information is not inside of you, it's useless. You can't apply it. You're not going to save anyone. And the other great point there is about the recall. So there is a big difference between recognition and recall. Recognition is about running an input that you're seeing or hearing against your database and then recognizing that something you already saw. So let's do a practical example. You meet someone at a party, that person says the name, and then a couple of days later, you meet the same person on the street. You recognize the person, but you can't recall the name. So what's happening here? Recognition is you're running the input, you're seeing the person and it goes against your database saying, have I seen this person before? And your mind says, yeah, I've seen this person before. 
but then the name you don't see it anywhere so you can't recognize it you have to bring it from your memory you come out and then it's there so that's recall which is much harder so when people say i'm better remembering faces than remembering names it's not just that it's everyone that's just basic functioning of your mind recognition is so much easier than recall same thing with a song we can sing along when we're listening to it because it's cueing us to what's coming next. But if I ask you to sing me the lyrics without any music, you're going to find it really difficult. So for recall, then there's something called practice recall, which is basically testing. We know it in school as testing, but it's trying to recall the information from memory. So if you went to a seminar, if you had some training at work, then it's kind of going with, let's say it could be with a, what, a coworker and start asking questions, uh, testing each other. And that forces the recall. And what's interesting is that the more we put effort into recalling, the stronger the memories once we do recall them. So effort is part of learning, unfortunately. It's not all fun and games. Uh, learning is not necessarily enjoyable all the time. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's frustrating. But that's the process. And that's where the, at the beginning of our conversation, talking about unrealistic expectations, sometimes we think that learning a new skill or learning something new for a job is going to be so fun. And, Sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a drag, but that's what it is. And once we accept it, then we come up with the strategies to deal with it. Well, and it's interesting too, to think about the why, your why behind learning that thing and, and behind the mastery, because working towards mastery can be very motivating for people. Um, there's lots of studies on this and, and you look, you know, at people, who say outside of the workplace, you know, they spend long hours, they're working 60 plus hours a week in a taxing job, they have all this expertise, and then they go home on the weekend, and they spend their time mastering an instrument or mastering, you know, carpentry or, you know, whatever hobby or skill that they're trying to do. And it takes tons of time, and yet they're willing to do it. And maybe we can talk a little bit about that too. And perhaps some ideas on how we can help people better generate their why for mastery and learning in the workplace to, to, so they can tap into the same types of motivations that help them have the play the long game, you know, in mastering an instrument yes. or, or a hobby and, but apply that into the workplace when they might be more inclined to, to only go after the low hanging fruit and do those things that are quick, easy successes um, but might, but they, they forego the long-term development that could actually really pay off in their career in the long run. Perfect. So yeah, you touch on the most important one, which is seeing the why. So when you understand your job as part of the bigger picture, then you're more motivated to do it. Um, let's say when you were learning math in school and no one taught you, why was it for? Like if you were learning calculus and you didn't see the use, then it's really hard to drill that into your memory. But when you see the use, when you see like what you're doing, how it fits into the bigger picture, that's more motivating. And that makes you put a, a lot more effort. So that's one side of it. The other one is that we do like improvement and we like challenges. And you can think about it in the sense of video games. If it's too easy, you get bored and put it away. If it's impossible, then you just don't play. It's, it's too frustrating. But it's challenging you every step of the way. And we could do it to ourselves, just adding up a little bit of challenge always makes it more enjoyable. And the last thing that I'll mention on, on this subject is, and we're gonna tie it up and I think it will come for full circle to Japan. So in Japan, you see people doing their jobs with so much attention to detail and quality. 
It's amazing. So you see a cashier, a convenience store, and it looks like a professional cashier that went to college for four years to be a cashier in that convenience store. That's how it looks. And the reason is because for them, their pride and their honor is how well they do their job, not what kind of job they have. So there's this story where uh, I went to this mall in Tokyo and Tokyo is packed all the time. So they need to clean the bathrooms uh, pretty often. So I see this team of people, about four people that line up and one of them, the leader is like, we're sorry, we're going to have to clean the toilet. So this won't be usable for about two minutes. I put this ribbon to close, to close the entry and they come in like a SWAT team. And I was just taking a peek and I saw this guy cleaning up, scrubbing this urinal and it's like, that's honorable. The way he's cleaning that thing, it's honorable. He's doing his job knowing that the way he does it is what brings him honor. He's not slugging through his job, which we see a lot in the West. Um, we have a lot of this entitlement where we think we sh I should be doing something better. This is just on passing. I'm just waiting tables because I'm waiting for that big break. I'm just doing this because, well, it's kind of in between jobs and they don't put attention to that quality. The idea like this is your present. This is all you have right now. And you might as well do it to the best of your ability for you, not for others. It doesn't matter if the others recognize it or not. And that's a lot of behind the Japanese philosophy. This sense of kodawari, which is being meticulous about detail, even if other people can't tell it. So you'll see shopkeepers cleaning or uh, restaurant keepers cleaning under the tables where no one's ever going to look. But to them, that's cleanliness. That's attention to detail. So a story about Steve Jobs who said that the interior of the Mac had to be beautiful. And everyone's amazed when they hear that story. Like, that's Japan. That's everyone in Japan. They think about it that way. And Steve Jobs was a fan of Japan. And probably he picked it up over there. That you do things for you. You have a standard of quality for you. So if you bring that into your job, regardless if your boss recognizes it, if your coworkers recognize it or not, you're doing it for you. And that mental attitude is going to carry you everywhere else you go. And with every, everything yeah. else you do. Really yeah. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with having ambition and wanting to grow and develop in your career and recognizing that what I'm doing today is probably not what I'm going to be doing in five years from now or whatever. That's not your point as I'm hearing it. What you're saying mm -hmm. is live in the moment, like understand your present. And there's, you know, regardless of where I'm at, I make, I do the best I can possibly do in that role at that moment. Right. Yes. And, exactly. and, you know what will happen when you take that approach? You will naturally do your job better and have more opportunities for progression. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so, so I mean, much more. yeah, because people will recognize your passion. They'll recognize your initiative. They will recognize your work ethic. And inevitably, you'll end up finding yourselves with more opportunities to do and try new things. And so yes. I've, I've always tried. And, and this is, I have to admit, it's maybe it's an Asian culture thing. But this was ingrained in me when I was in Korea as well, is that, you know, wherever I am, whatever role I'm in, wh wh wherever I happen to be, whatever organization, um, when I'm there, I'm going to act as though that's where I'm going to be for the rest of my life that I'm developing relationships with people, um, that I'm, I'm, I'm creating my reputation. I'm, I'm demonstrating my work ethic, everything that I'm doing, I'm going to do it as though this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And so I, yes. none of, none of it's a throwaway, all of it matters. And even if I'm gone in six months or a year, then when I go to the next opportunity, I'll treat that the same way. And, and when I approach things that way, 
I'm continually learning, I'm continually developing, I'm continually um, building relationships that, that are meaningful, that matter. Um, and, and I'm not just ever coasting, I'm not ever stagnating. Yes. And, and I, th I think that's, that's the kind of an approach, not to say that I have it all figured out because I don't, and I'm not certainly not, you know, I have lots to learn and I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that kind of a mentality is something that was ingrained in me early on in my young adult life. And it's, it's stuck with me and I, and I think it served me well. And I think when we're talking about learning and mastery and, and driving performance, I think some of these basic kind of mental models and uh, approaches to how we deal with life and how we uh, approach the setting that we're in, it does matter and it can make a big difference in our performance. Very much so. And yes, uh, so the point is not complacency is not saying, well, this is what I have. This is the job I have and accepting it. It's okay to have ambition, but as you said, it, it's it's really putting in the work on the quality and the attention to detail in what you're doing right now, which is going to propel you forward. Um, you see some people that, let's say, if they if they're writing if they have a blog and they don't have that many followers, they're like, well, I'm not putting that much effort into the post because who cares? I'm going to put the effort and the attention to detail once I have millions of followers, millions of readers. It's like you're not going to get to millions of readers if you're not treating whatever amount of readers you have right now as if it were that million and putting in the attention to detail and to quality. Um, so a quick story. I know I want to be respectful of your time, but um, there is this quote that I opened the book with, which is from Michelangelo. He basically says, with, in regards to people's admiration of his Pieta, um, this beautiful sculpture, he said, if people knew how hard I had to work to gain my mastery, it wouldn't seem so wonderful at all. And that's kind of what kickstarted the whole book, because that was the idea. We don't see the effort behind mastery. And if we saw it, we realized that it's very human and that we could achieve the same things. But I saw this quote, and then as I went to verify it, I couldn't find anything. So then I had to read this uh, biography, Michelangelo, and it's been weeks reading the biography, and I couldn't find a quote. So then I, I took this lecture, Michelangelo, um, which was like 20 hours of lecture, Michelangelo. I couldn't find clues to this uh, quote. So then I contacted the professor, it's from Oxford, and he's the one that wrote the biography, who did the lecture. I contacted him. I said, I'm trying to verify this thing. He's like, I can't place it anywhere, but there's so many quotes from Michelangelo that his biographers made up, but that's part of the myth of Michelangelo. So he kind of did say it, but not say it. Um, so that made me to add something to that quote that said, Michelangelo supposedly said, instead of Michelangelo said. Most people would just glaze through that like it's nothing. No one's going to recognize it. But to me, it was important to put the supposedly there. So that's what matters. It's like that attention to detail. And I didn't know the book was going to be a success, but it was important to me. So having that inner quality, a standard quality is really important. And it's going to take you much farther because then people are going to see how, how much effort you put into your work how much pride are you taking it? And they will recognize you for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Nick. It has just been a real pleasure talking with you today. Uh, I really appreciate all of your insights uh, and all the wisdom you shared with me and with my listeners. Before we close, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, find out more about your book, uh, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Sure. So the book is called Learn, Improve, Master. You can find that anywhere books are sold. Amazon is probably the easiest place. And then to find me would be through my blog, unlimitedmastery.com. And I have all the links to social media and everything else there. And mostly on, on Instagram, I try to keep it to one social media. I find that it, it drags a lot of time. So I try to use mostly one. And you'll find the links there. So unlimitedmastery.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nick. It's been a pleasure. 
I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Nick can do for you. Uh, check out his book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership. Ordinary, everyday actions that produce extraordinary results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Check out Human Capital Innovations magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free interactive e-magazine with the mission to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We publish issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Take a look at the latest issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.